rdtdaily.com presents a Tara Buster with comedian Tara Devlin. All right, how's it going? It's been a while. It feels like a long time. My name is Tara Devlin. Thank you for hanging out. We meet here every Saturday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern at the RDT Daily Facebook and YouTube channels. And we are rebroadcast starting Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern on Progressive Voices or anytime on the Progressive Voices app, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Please give the show a good review on iTunes and keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it. You wor- you're worth it and live it. Let's see who's here. Oh, man, Jim is here right out of the gate. I missed you, Jim. I got to tell you, I really do. I notice you because you're, you know, you you pay your cover charge. <laughs> what can you say? And you're a patron. Mamma mia. And we've lost a couple of patrons over the few days. Probably, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's because they don't like me. I don't. I can't take it personal. This is a uh, a horrible time to be an American. We don't know if there's personal problems going on in people's lives, or they don't like the. Uh, I, mean, I mean, of course, everybody's welcome, regardless of being. If you're not a patron, you can. You're welcome. Please continue to watch and enjoy the show and share the show with your friends. There are many ways to support the show without being a patron, though if you can, if you're capable of being a patron, please do. Because we need a liberal media. Nothing less than taking over the hearts and minds of the American people are going to change what we're up against, and we are up against, well, this the same thing that uh, our ancestors were up against, big moneyed interests. I got bitten to hell by mosquitoes. I have to tell you, I'm sorry, I'm sitting here scratching myself. <laughs> I was out feeding the cats in the cemetery. Well, I can't tell you. Why, why do I keep saying that? I should never say that because people might think, that's a great place to dump my animal. If you have to get rid of your animal, please take it to a shelter. Don't dump it. Okay? Because just because it's an animal doesn't mean that it knows how to survive outside, especially if it's been living in a home with a human being. In fact, that's how you could tell people who have... um. Well, that's how you can tell that an animal's been dumped from the animals who have been born outside and are feral, or the cats in particular, is that the feral cats look good. They know how to care for themselves. They've been taught. The cats who've been abandoned, on the other hand, they look like hell. As if it's like what we what what you would look like if somebody dumped you. Somebody just texted me something. Yeah, you know, somebody dumped you in the woods without being able to fend for yourself. You don't know what to do. I don't, I wouldn't know what to do. That's the way it is. So you don't don't dump your animals, okay? Even if you're on hard times, and there are shelters. 
one good thing about this pandemic is that a lot of people are adopting animals at this time. They're seeing the value of the compan that that kind of companionship, because eh, human companionship is uh, leaves much to be desired in many ways, right? Look at where we live. I'll get back on track. Look at this country. My God, what a what a what a joke! This morning I was listening to Morning Joe as I do. Because I guess I have some kind of masochistic streak in me. And they were all discussing. There was a bunch of Republicans on, and they were discussing how shocking it is, how the Republican Party, how they they can't believe how racist it is. See, I'm, all, I'm sorry. I keep scratching because I really got bitten to hell. I don't know what it is. In fact, I did... Um, I, when I did the 23andMe with the DNA thing or whatever, and it said that I was more susceptible to being bitten by mosquitoes. I didn't know that was a DNA thing. Maybe they like my my ghostly pallor or something. I would say it doesn't look like I have a drop of blood in me. I'm so goddamn white. So, anyway, I'm just all bitten up like crazy. I should have got some chamomile lotion or something. The mosquitoes were out in force. I hope I don't get malaria. God damn it. We got all kinds of diseases. COVID, malaria, Trumpanzeeism. Everything is, it's all up for grabs out there. All right. So, I was listening to Morning Joe. And they were all discussing how surprised they are that the Republican Party is a bunch of racists. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's good. They are finally, perhaps, they're doing what I've been suggesting all Republicans do. Take a look at themselves. Look in the mirror. Take an assessment. You know, that's the difference between between adults and people who have unsuccessful lives. Well, adults, you know, you're able to look at yourself. You're able to take an inventory of yourself. And I'll tell you this, we, we as much as I, I beat up on the Democrats, and they deserve it, at least you know that the Democrats, you know, if, let's say a Twitler decided to run as a Democrat, there'd be no way he would ever get out the gate. And even if he got to a point where he was finding some kind of populist populist appeal with among the races, they would never allow him to be the standard bearer of the, of the Democratic Party. There's absolutely no, no, uh, no way. And now there are all these videos online of Republicans saying, I was a lifelong Republican. Let me just say it, because I just, I just watched one of them, actually. This lady, she's like, I was a lifelong Republican, and I voted for Trump because I believed in Mike Pence? This is why I'm saying 
How sick this country is. I believe you believed in Mike Pence. Mike Pence was a shitty governor. He is what he's he's a fake ass holy roller. All of these Republicans are inept. They can't they couldn't govern them, themselves out of uh a an economy that works for all, that's for sure. And they certainly can't do a goddamn thing in a crisis. So, they're the worst. Everything. Look at what we're talking about. You know, if it weren't for... This is what's so scary about this country, is that if it weren't for the fact that we have 150,000 dead and counting, and there are... Uh, 5 million Americans sick and 40 million out of work and counting. And uh, it's only just begun, ladies and gentlemen. The fun is just getting started with the Republican Party. But even still, there are millions who will vote for him, for Twitler and the Republicans. When what have they done? Like Morning Joe, like the cast of Morning Joe this morning talking about, I can't believe it. You mean, I I never knew Republicans were racist. This dirty racist strain underneath the Republican Party that was always there. This is what Morning, what effing Joe, effing Morning Joe was saying, Joe Scarborough. It was always there, lying under the surface. Now it's... So why didn't you do something about it? Who, uh, when somebody comes down an escalator saying Mexicans are rapists, who votes for somebody like that? Unless they're disgusting, as just as disgusting as the person who came down the escalator proclaiming that BS. Yes, I'm trying not to curse again. It's getting hard. I know. And I know that every time I curse, I'll get a I'll get a tip from the tip sweary jar, but I don't know. I was listening to Mike Malloy yesterday as I listen to him every day, and he was saying that he's not cursing anymore. So I have to do everything that Mike Malloy does, so otherwise it doesn't feel like real life. He was saying that it kind of, uh, cursing will diminish the um, effectiveness of the argument. But honestly, I I hear you. I hear you. A lot of people will tune out when they hear somebody screaming and yelling, cursing, and um, the effectiveness of the art. You don't need an argument. Look, we got reality on our side. Truth has a liberal bias. I don't this is what is insane about this country. What does it what does it take? What will it take? There are millions of Americans who are hopeless. They're irredeemable. Clearly. Absolutely. That's why you don't give them power. And that's why they have to steal power. And that's what they're doing right now. The Republicans are setting it up. So Trump is going to tear this country apart. He will delegitimize the election. 
We were warned by Michael Cohen months ago when he testified before Congress. Michael Cohen, you know, he knew. Now he's on the right side of history. But he worked for Donald Trump for years. He knew who he was. He got caught. That's the way it is. You lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. That's, but Trump always seems to get out, come out smelling like a goddamn rose. But all of the Republicans, all of them, all of the Republicans in the Lincoln Project, Steve Schmidt, Rick, whatever the hell his name is, Wilson, Rick Wilson is his name? I don't know, can't remember. They brought us here. Hey, uh, Steve Schmidt, he voted for, he put Sarah Palin in next to John McCain, right? That's why we're here. Rick's, uh, Rick Smith, not Rick Smith, Rick Wilson voted for Sarah Palin to be one 78-year-old man's heartbeat away from the presidency. All of these little steps. It doesn't happen overnight, but that's why we're here. They broke the system, not just the Republicans. We we go over this all the time. That's maybe why people aren't, they don't like me anymore. They don't want to be a patron anymore. I mean, I hope it's that and that it's not that they're in financial trouble, really, honestly. If you must, I would rather them not be patrons because they don't like that I couldn't wait till John, um, what's his name? John Lewis. <laughs> John Lewis's body was called before I started criticizing him. The way I look at it, who's got time? I don't got no time here waiting around for somebody to get buried. He, he was, it took him over a week anyway. And like I said, he, he took, uh, a billy clubs to the head. He could take a little constructive criticism from me, I would imagine. Little old me. And, hey, we have to, like, I'm asking the Republicans to face themselves. Let's let's face ourselves. I, I, I mean, I'll face myself. If you don't like stuff that I'm saying and doing, I'm open to criticism. I'm open to hearing it. Are we more... Better are we better served by what this a deference to somebody who was a congressman? I don't know. I don't. I all I see is that look at the look at the country. I don't see the Republicans making any moves to fix the Voting Rights Act, in spite of their having such a wonderful, the greatest experience of their life, walking arm in arm across the bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, with John Lewis. Why didn't he, instead of talking in all this flowerly, or flowery, um, nondescript, non-specific language in his final letter, it was really a nice letter. He could have said all those things. While... Calling them out. Calling out. The goddamn hypocrites, the phony bastards, the racists, the kiss-up, kick-down, I got mine, sucks-to-be-you plutocrats who could give a crap 
about the millions left behind in this country where we are now the uh, the worst country, the second to last country in the democ in the democratic world to in which to raise a family. That's the legacy that John Lewis left us. He spurs us into action, lets freedom ring and all this. Okay, what does that mean? It's like, it annoyed me, I have to tell you. Now that he's resting in peace, it irritated me. It seemed like, same old, same old. Let freedom ring. Now you pick up the baton. Okay, yeah, we know, honey. We got no choice but to pick up the baton unless we want to roll over and die and be treated by the uh, the oligarchs that have their friggin' disgusting, greedy fingers around the neck of power. Why didn't he call them out? Why didn't he call out the his good friend, whatever his name? Um, you know, I keep forgetting his name. I keep uh, confusing him with Kevin McCarthy. The one who, let me see, John Lewis... It's not Kevin McCarthy. Somebody on the chat will tell me. I always they kind of look alike. Kevin McCarthy and John Lewis. Uh, you know, his good friend who brought the human shield. Yeah, Mark Meadows. Thank you, Peter, on the chat. I always get them confused. Kevin McCarthy. Don't they look alike? So why didn't he call out on his and his last message? to be published on the date of his burial. Hey, Mitch McConnell, you unabashed, disgusting hypocrite. We have, I'm really glad that your greatest moment, well, he wouldn't know that because he was already dead, but I'm really happy to have walked arm in arm across the Edmund Pettus Bridge with you and give you such a fond memory. But why don't you pick up the mantle of patriotism, of the of democracy, and fix what you filthy, disgusting, fascist bastards broke. Voting. Oh, oh, you don't want to? Because you hate America. Good night. I'm out. Bye. I don't get it. So we're all, um, we're all, I guess, I, it, it really feels like learned helplessness to me, to tell you the truth. We're all just dazzled by the platitudes. I'm not dazzled. I'm looking at the numbers here. I'm looking at the reality of people's lives. Yes, he's right. You can lose voting. You can lose it. You can lose the right to vote. Well, it's not implicitly stated in the Constitution that it is a right. So you can lose it because they're coming for it. And they're coming for everything. Everything that actually makes this country great, that makes it a more perfect union, they are standing in the way. And it's, it's all, it's 100% of the Republicans, but it's also some of the Democrats who don't, some of them don't even realize they're standing in the way. They think that they're, okay, well, at least we're not them. We're not as bad as them while they keep the broken system going and enable and ensure 
that we will continue to have fascism, and in the the next fascist will be hey that that's going to be the last one. I tell you, Donald Trump is trying to nullify the election before it's even taken place. He understands he's in bad shape. It's oh, and what a victim, right? Poor thing. So, anyway. There's so many things. I can't really do a very long show tonight. I'm just letting you know. I wanted to do a show because I haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> it feels like now it's only Tuesday, but I haven't seen you guys since Saturday. And that doesn't feel right anymore. So that's why I ask you, if you can, to please become a patron at patreon.com slash Tara Devlin. And tonight's show is... Brought to us by Mark Mahoney. Thank you, Mark, for taking that extra step and becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Tara Devlin. Welcome to the Patreon family. I hope that you also join our Discord page, and that's a great way to stay in touch with me and uh, the other Tara Busters, the OG Tara Busters especially, like Greg and Haiku and who else we got here? Jim, of course, Peter, Covert, White Rabbit, Patricia, Sin City, and many more. Terry Taylor. Yes, thank you, thank you all. So welcome, welcome, Mark. I like seeing new names because that means we're growing. And the more that you guys support the show, the faster we will grow. I'm, I'm on, I, I am unable to do another four-hour show tonight because I have to go to sleep. Because I got to get up really effing early tomorrow. Okay. And it sucks. I mean, it doesn't suck. I have to get up. It is a privilege to get up in the morning. I look at it like that. My sister was complaining because yesterday was my niece's birthday. She's She was 25 years old yesterday. And I remember when she was born. I'm sure we have this experience. If you are older and you have children or family members, I changed her diapers. She's an amazing kid. We're all very fortunate that all my, well, I don't have any children, but my, well, that's probably why we're fortunate, but my sister and brother have children. I have seven nieces and nephews, and they're all doing, they're all doing well. They're not like me. They're not drug addicts, which is pretty amazing because we have drug addiction all over our family. Well, maybe there are some undercover addicts. I don't know. We haven't discovered it yet. So you never know. Cause I didn't, uh, I mean, I, I was a drug addict and I went to college. I look good on paper in a lot of ways, but so maybe some more will be revealed, but most of them, it seems to me what I know. <laughs> Very good people, just good people. They care about animals. That's that's what makes you a person, a good person. If you care about animals, then you know. I know that you have a good heart. And you know it. That's why when you look at somebody like Donald Trump Jr. 
all of them. Oh, and speaking of, it really, it, it doesn't get any better, okay? There's many things I wanted to talk about tonight. This is really in the wheelhouse. We're talking about animals because Trump, that's why. You know, when people say, oh, I just can't vote for Joe Biden, I understand. Nina Turner said it's like choosing a half a sc. Well, I'm not gonna spell half a sh- beep beep sandwich. I disagree. It's more like a whole beep beep sandwich. In my opinion, you just gotta swallow it. But the reason why I'm going to vote for Joe Biden is because of stuff like that. It will matter. Joe Biden, as far as I know, I hope he doesn't prove me wrong in this sense, will not attack the Endangered Species Act. In fact, I hope that he will restore it. And that matters for the environment, for animals. I mean, the, we know the first thing that Twitler did on his first day in office, was he signed an executive order allowing hunters to shoot hibernating bears and bear cubs. Disgusting. And he also, well, he allowed many, it was a, it was a cornucopia of various offenses to the heart and soul of humanity and life on earth. He he did the thing with the bears, allowing hunters to shoot hibernating bears. Why? What the hell is wrong with you? And um, he undid the fiduciary rule where the um, financial advisors have to have the best interest of their uh, client in uh, at heart rather than just sell you some junk bull crap to siphon money from your account, your, you know, your, your social security or whatever it might be. Um, and the other thing was he allowed corporations to dump coal ash into our streams. That's who they are. You understand? They can't make a buck unless somebody is needlessly dying, somebody is offensively murdering something, treating another uh, form of life on the planet as nothing but something just to just to suck pressure. suck some kind of purient pleasure. Who gets pleasure from murdering sleeping bear cubs? You disgusting pigs. I, 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 I'm I, not saying... Pi- I mean, pigs are good. They would never do that. Only Trump and Z's. They're making this country great. They're making this country a disgrace. And a death-riddled disgrace. So, let's just keep going. Let me go on here. Uh, I'm trying to think where to start. There's so much shit going on. I mean, oops, there. Beep, beep. Uh, it never stops. You know, Republicans, they hate you. And if this doesn't, uh, if you don't figure it out yet, if you haven't figured out that Republicans hate working people, then you're really hopeless. 
Maybe you can hang out here if you don't act like a moron. Come into the chat room. If you act like an idiot, haiku, who's going to give you the boot? But there's something very sick about you if you haven't been paying attention to Republicans. All the while, while Americans, you understand that, they, that what they think, they think, and this is what they're doing. We were talking about this on the last show, too. They cut the $600 from the, the lifeline, from all of us. I don't care if you have a job or not. If you have a job, you're lucky. But you better believe, just like that coronavirus started with one mother effer who wanted to eat meat in Wu, whatever, ch- China. Wu, Wu, is it Wu? I can't even say. Wu Tang, Wu Tang, China. And traveled the entire globe, just like. That is an illustration of how we are all connected. This economy, we are all connected. When those Americans aren't receiving their $600, which really is what it is, it's $15 an hour minimum wage. So the Republicans are complaining that people are being paid more to stay home than they would be to work. Well, that's not their freaking fault. It's the fault of the disgusting system that doesn't work for the working class. And you see, they don't want people getting used to having that kind of living wage. Makes their life a little bit more manageable. Every dollar in public assistance, every dollar that we use and stint to uh, give to other Americans in public assistance, assistance returns a dollar sixty into the economy. That is, ir- it's not disputable. They have kneecapped the entire economy because they hate you. You understand? They hate this fucking thing. They hate me. They hate you. They hate the working class. They think that you're lazy. Don't you get it by now? This is what they think. You're just sitting around. You should be back at work. And if you die, oh well. It's they, they, the fact that they have kneecapped the entire economy because they're fine. They have more money than we could spend in 10,000 lifetimes. You understand? It's all being funneled to the top. So kneecap the American people. What do they give a goddamn wit? You see what they're doing and go, go to, go complain to somebody. And when you go to court, something happens, you need, you need, uh, hey, I have rights. I'm an American citizen. Take it to court, you're going to run into one of Mitch McConnell's flunkies that he's been stuffing on the court for the past three and a half years and, and then some. This is what they are doing. It's called the destruction of the grand experiment. So, <laughs> I'm looking on the chat. Andrea, I'm saying. Andrea, is this true? There's a movement say, <laughs> called Settle for Biden. That's funny. Oh, my God. Well, it's the truth. Well, this is what... But we were talking about this on the show the other day. 
the re- what this okay not the republicans the democrats the dlc democrats are going to see biden's win like nobody cares nobody has been pining for biden what does he stand for he's not trump okay yeah anybody but trump like i said let's run tara jr jr for president and francis jr jr for vp i think they'd make a fine it'll be the i'm sure francis would be pleased to win the veep stakes the veep stakes that's how sick this country is while the american people while the wants and needs of the working class have a statistically insignificant effect on government policy we're talking about well not we are they're talking about the corporate media is worried about the veep stakes that says it all even the way that they brand it as veep stakes it's a game they have already won this game they don't like us getting uppity, though, and catching on. You know, Bernie, that was the, it was a little too uppity for them. I was thinking about it again today, and it was annoying me thinking about it. Well, I'm like, where is Bernie, by the way? But it, it goes to show you what we, it, what we have always said. It's never, it's not really about Bernie. It's never been about Bernie. It's about the policies. And these are FDR Democratic policies. So Bernie can go on. Many of the people who supported Bernie are not like pleased with Bernie right now because he's not he's not fighting. He's quiet. He's going along with this. I think that he believes the BS that it was his fault. This is what the DLC Democrats think. That it was Bernie. Bernie was the one that caused Hillary to lose. That's what they think. Along with the Russians, it was Bernie that caused Hillary to lose because there was no unity. No. That's not what happened. Hillary, that's a whole other can of worms there. There was an entire cottage industry against her, right or wrong, that... Many Americans really had a visceral negative reaction to voting for her. That's one good thing that Biden has. He doesn't have that for whatever. Honestly, I have wor- I have a harder time voting for Biden than I did for Hillary. I-, I knew what Hillary was. She was my senator. But Biden, he has always been on the wrong side of everything that I've always believed in. All the time. And the reason he was picked as by, as Obama's VP was because he was that corporate dem. He was the one that was supposed to go and get, go to Wall Street. Say, hey, hey, don't worry, I got this guy. We got him in check. He'll, he'll play ball. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's not... Um, haiku on the chat, 25, 2.5 2. million voted for Jill Stein, but Bernie bros, right. Jill Stein's another case, in my opinion. I think she's tedious, frankly. I know people voted for her. I'm not, I think she, she's annoying, frankly, because where have she been? She's another one, just like comes out of nowhere, 
every four years. She's tedious. And her that whole footage of her with the RT dinner with Putin. I'm not saying she's a Russian plant. I don't know. I don't think so. But there are people who, who do think that she might be an unwitting victim, just like many of these stupid Trump anzies. They're unwitting victims. They join Facebook groups called uh, Americans for America, and they're run right out of the Russian intelligence service. Yeah, that's true. Tom Hartman sat next to Jill at that dinner. Yeah, Peter Griffin on the chat. Because he, he used to be on our team. That's right. And he got off that channel because it didn't look good. That's what happened. I think that he he was like, okay, this ain't looking good. Uh, on it's something that they, that he could be attacked for. So Anyway, whatever. Whatever. What am I talking about? You guys are great. I love you. It's been a while. First of all, if you want to call in, I have the phones open. That's up to you, though. I'm not. I just opened them up because I thought we hadn't had them open in a while. If you want to call, the phones are open. Okay, three six zero seven 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 six zero zero seven. Let's start here then. I'm just, I'm only looking at all the ar articles I have, and I'm trying to figure out where to start because we're talking about it. Republicans hate themselves. I mean, hate. Well, that now they're figuring out that they're racist. We all we already knew that. And there's an article by one of the Republican operatives who was on Morning Joe today talking about how he realizes that the Republican Party is racist. And then I want to read that obituary from the woman, um, well, an obituary of a man who died of coronavirus. And the, uh, they blame, the family blames Trump. Uh, rightfully so. So since I'm talking about the racists on Morning Joe, let me, I'll just read this and then we'll, we'll focus. I'm a I feel a little unfocused. I know. I'm sorry. Thank you for hanging out. Let me see. Do we have anybody on Facebook? Is this thing streaming? It must be. All right. So from the Daily Mail. Oh, no. Wrong article. See? Guys. Become a patron. That's why I ask. Because then I'll have a producer. All right. So this is from USA Today. It's from Stuart Stevens. Trump's Republican Party is defined by racism and those who tolerate it, says a GOP strategist. I worked on the winning Republican races across the South, and I never seen a racist appeal like Trump succeed. Why won't his party challenge him? So he writes, about a year ago, I finished writing a book in which I posited that Race was the original sin of the modern Republican Party. And that the rise of President Donald Trump, so-called President Trump, is based more on white grievance than any other factor. It was a conviction I had to 
come to after 30 years of working in Republican politics, including five presidential campaigns. To me, it seemed an inescapable, if depressing, reality. After 30 years, you figure this out? It's so baffling to me. I, I don't know. How could you be that in denial for 30 years? I'll tell you guys, if the Democratic Party all of a sudden came out and started talking like Donald Trump, you know, none of us would tolerate it. We'd be like, I'm out of here yesterday. That would be the end of it. They wouldn't be like, oh, I'm voting for him because I like Pence or I I like his um, he's a businessman. Get the F out of here. These are the excuses we hear. He's a businessman. Yeah, um, we need to shake things up with a filthy, disgusting racist in a nation of immigrants. That goes to show you how much they hate this country. You get it? Every Republican hates this country. Every single one. Now they're coming to some kind of realization. Okay, good. Just like I had to come to a realization when my life being a drug addict wasn't working out for me. We got to look at ourselves. You got to take a hard look at yourself. And maybe they were in denial, but I highly doubt it. Being an addict is one thing, being in denial. But you can't, how can you be in denial that you're a bunch of racists, that you're in a party of racists? They're waving the Confederate flag. They're act, they are, I mean, what else? So many things. Like just the way they, they, divide and conquer this country. Their racist policies, their refusal to look at anybody else's perspective but their own. That's the telltale sign right there. They have no interest in any other American experience. That's not valuable to them. They don't, it's, I mean, that's what it means to be a human. To communicate, to connect with others, the least you can do to somebody else, to another human being, the least respect you can give them is to, is to acknowledge their experience, their humanity. Republicans can't do that. Whenever they say that, that, that uh, when you say black lives matter and they say all lives matter, that's them saying, F you. My life matters. That's what they say. Not yours. Shut up. They don't want to hear it. It's like they have zero interest in the reality of the pain that this country has caused millions of its citizens forever. From, for, from its inception. All lives matter? It's like, it's like saying to somebody, you know, I was really hurt when you did that. Oh, well, everybody's hurt. It's like it's dismissive. It's devaluing. It says, I don't give a crap. So how do you ever move forward? We've all had conflict in our life. We've had family drama. We've had relationship drama. That's what you do. You work through it. 
if you care enough to work through it, if the Republicans cared enough to have a country that works for all, they would listen to the experiences of the American people. We can't deny it. And it makes this country, it doesn't make it great. Not, you know, to, to be a bunch of infants saying, oh, gee, uh, all, uh, all lives matter. We're the greatest. What the hell is that? It's like babies, little babies who have zero interest. That's, I mean, babies, that's all they are because babies, they don't want a country that works for all. I mean, it's, you know how babies are. Babies, most babies who turn into adults, one of the processes of maturation is you learn that you're not the center of the universe. That, that comes in very early in infancy for most people. But in the meantime, when you're an infant, you know, wow, wow, I'm crying. I want this. I want that. That's babies. That's who they are. That's who Republicans are. That's why they are as they they are shallow, drowning in that sh- goddamn shallow pool, where they want to drag us all into it. Greed. Only greed. The only thing worthy. So they'll have this country at each other's throats. They will rip this country apart. And that's what it means when you say all lives matter or that you don't even care about what the whole community. The, that's the Republican policy. Divide and conquer. Funnel more money to the top. The rest of us can go whatever. Go get covid they think the problem in a pandemic is that the American people are just having it too good. You get it? They do. Never mind the reality, the statistics, the millions out of work, the thousands, hundreds of thousands dead, the worst cases, the, the worst statistics in the entire world. And still, some idiots are going to vote for Twitler. Well, you know what? We need people not only who are capable of listening and saying, every American experience has value, and we're in this together. And in order to make a more perfect union, we, only, we can only go forward together. And identify that, yeah, there are differences. We've had different American experiences, but we, ha- we need to rectify them. And that's why we talk about here the exact message that needs to get out. The healing message of E Pluribus Unum. It's not just a platitude of walking across a bridge arm in arm. It is leaving nobody behind in policy. That's what will really heal this country. 
at least begin to heal it. Let's put our money where our mouth is. Taxpayer money. This, this is the price of admission to civilization. We all pay into civilization, except for the Republicans and their benefactors. That's the problem. They want it all to the funnel to the top. But ideally, a country that is functioning, if we ever get this country back, it has to leave no one behind. We, we pay our taxes into the general fund, and those taxes get disseminated, everybody in, nobody out. We fund the education system out of the general fund, not out of property taxes. No one has talked about this. this is a, that's a racist policy. Funding schools through the property tax is a deliberate racist policy. But they, nobody talks about it. So we got to get rid of it. We have to fund everybody in, nobody out. There should be no bad schools. The only reason it's the way it is is because of racism. And this is what I heard this morning on Morning Joe when the guy was saying, well, somebody was saying, oh, no, no, it wasn't the Republican that was saying this. Somebody else was saying, and I was very happy to hear it on Morning Joe, frankly, because I, it was one of the doctors they had on. They were talking about the, the abomination of the American response to the coronavirus and how Americans are dying and others are dying, not just Americans, but uh, people unfortunate enough to be here. And he was saying... I was glad to hear him put it together. This is the problem with the American people. We don't have any institutional memory, but this person, it was good that he said it on the corporate media because he was saying that this is a byproduct of colonialism, that we don't have a, a healthcare system that works, that is that includes everybody, that's everybody in, nobody out. And we have been... The, the reason we've been hit hardest in the pandemic is because we have a system that was set up. It was set to fail. It's, uh, yeah, it's great. It's working great if you're rich. That's the th story of America. If you're rich, you can get everything. Oh, we have the greatest health care on earth. If you're rich, we have the greatest schools on earth. If you're rich. We have the greatest anything if you're rich, but there you go. We live in a country with the majority of Americans, 80%, a, a disgustingly high majority, live check to check. So, all right. Let's continue with this guy's article. This is Stuart Stevens. My first campaign was for a congressional seat in Mississippi among a white Republican, my client, and a white Democrat, a black, and a, wait, sorry, guys. I'm not reading this properly. My first campaign was for a congressional seat in Mississippi among a white Republican, my client, a white Democrat, and a black independent. I quickly realized anything we could do to increase the profile of the African-American would help divert votes from the Democrat to the Independent. It was our best play, since there was little to do to attract African Americans to our campaign. 
That was a long time ago, and Republicans are still failing to win black voters in substantial numbers. Oh, well, that's because the Democrats make uh, this social safety net hammock for black people to lay around in, you know? Isn't that the line that they, they regurgitate? It's that same old racist trope that they've used, that people like them, that their ancestors used since slavery. Well, you can't give. You got to treat black people. You got to treat them hard because if given anything, given the half a chance, they'll lay around in a social safety net hammock. You got to treat them. You got to teach them the dignity of work. That's what they said. Oh, slavery was great because you're teaching them to work. Otherwise, it's all, all, you know, no holds barred here. And whenever I hear Republicans, they, they say the same thing today, except it's an updated version. The reason that, that black people vote for Democrats in an overwhelmingly num- a high number is because Democrats bribe them with free stuff. This is what Republicans say. Who hasn't heard that line? I hear it all the time. And nobody ever challenges them. They don't push back and say, what are you talking about? First of all, we don't have a great social safety net in comparison to the rest of the world. We have a crappy social safety net, a very um, limited one with a lot of holes in it. So there is no social safety net hammock, and you can't lay around in it very long if you ever did get caught in it. It's not there to prop you up. It's there to prop up the broken system. So the plutocrats who are siphoning money out of all of our profits, all of the labor that we make possible— all the profits our labor makes possible, I should say, they can point and say, look, we're doing something. We trickled. See? How, what, what more do you want? Peons, what more do you... What could, uh, get out and work. What more do you want? Maybe one day you could, build, you could m- pull yourself up by your bootstraps and marry a... Uh, I don't know, uh, a billionaire. Marry a fake billionaire, if you can. At least. Marry somebody with a trust fund. Because now that the Republicans ensured that they could pass their ill-gotten gains to their heirs tax-free, we got an intergenerational aristocracy to build. But this is what the Republicans say. Black people vote Democratic because Democrats bribe them with free stuff. You see, what's the underlying message there? Black people are being bribed because they don't really want to work, you see. They're looking for handouts, and here come the Democrats. And it's offensive. And I even hear black Republicans say crap like this. And it's crap. It's divide and conquer strategy. It's it's bullshit, too. So the article continues. 
This is a Republican who is finally waking up that he's a racist in a racist party. Stuart Stevens. That was long ago, and Republicans are still failing to win black voters in substantial numbers. For decades, the party admitted that it was, in fact, a failure of at at least attempted to change, and now it has settled into a comfortable embrace of white grievance, and Trump is running as the Yankee George Wallace. Isn't white grievance so tediously boring? Oh, my God. God, even reading those words. Like, God damn it, bring a book. What are you whining about, white grievance? Anytime anybody else challenges them to confront their bigotries and evolve, that's what happens. Oh, uh, it's so put upon. So annoying. Okay, so he writes, Trump is proving my thesis. I've worked with a lot of candidates, and for all the hocus-pocus mystique about consul- and consultants pulling strings, controlling campaigns, I found that ultimately candidates do what they most want to do. This is never truer than when a candidate and a campaign are under stress. It's a natural instinct, the same phenomena of when someone who is multilingual reverts to his native tongue when most angry. Even so, I never expected Trump to base his re-election campaign around proving my thesis. Get the hell out of here. There are times when elections are, to borrow Jerry Seinfeld's description of his show, campaigns about nothing. For obvious reasons, this tends to happen in times of peace and prosperity, with an electorate generally satisfied with the status quo. Well, I'd like to know when that was, but... I wasn't alive then. That's not this election. One recent poll shows that only 18% of the country believes that we are headed in the right direction and others (laughs) aren't much higher. This 2020 campaign does not lack for big issues that impact every American. The worst public health crisis in 100 years, the highest unemployment rate since the Great Depression, This is a moment that uniquely calls out for strong presidential leadership. Most presidents would grasp their fate, uh, that their fate lay with the public's view of their response and act accordingly. Not Donald Trump. It's clear his instinct is to make the 2020 election a cultural war, which in his interpretation is just a socially acceptable term for race war. Why? How does this make any political sense? The answer is that it doesn't. But it is what Trump wants to do. Well, you know why? Because that's all he can do. He is not a success. He's not a successful businessman. He's not a successful man. He's not even a man. He's a monstrosity. He's never been a success. He doesn't know what else to do. This is his only card to play. It's always been bullshit. That's why when the pandemic was on its way, he was like, oh, it's going to disappear, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, don't worry about it. It's going to be like magic, like Trump University, like Trump vitamins, like Trump water, like Trump steaks, like Trump shuttle. 
like magic. It's going to be like nobody's ever seen. Ridiculous. And you know what? Is anybody else with me when I say, uh, or as tired as I am listening to the media, especially on the so-called liberal media, or even today, I heard Willie Geist say that we were all looking for a leader in Trump, hoping that he would become a leader. Are you kidding me? How many times? How much more do we have to pretend we got to play this game that he was ever capable? A guy who came down the escalator proclaiming that Mexicans are rapists and some of them, I believe, I suppose, are good people. That's what he said. That should have been enough. In a sane country of 330 million immigrants. Well, n- mostly, not all immigrants. If you're Native American, my God. Holy shit. What a nightmare. If only... Could you imagine what they would think of this country? The Native Americans 500 years ago, if they could look into the future and see? Yeah, they'd say, I told you so. So, yes, so this writer continues. It's it's clear that Trump's instinct is to make 2020 a cultural war, which in his interpretation is just a socially acceptable term for race war. Why? How does this make any political sense? The answer is that it doesn't, but it's what Trump wants to do. Steve Bannon liked to say of Trump, dude, he's Archie Bunker. But that seems overly generous. Archie had Meathead, who strongly disagreed with him and would argue Trump has... And his children, wait, Trump has his children and a son-in-law who serve the same purpose in a Trump administration as the devoted Waylon Smithers does for his boss and the Simpsons. There's a need in Trump world to describe his erratic behavior and lack of discipline as some kind of brilliant hidden strategy because otherwise you are left with the conclusion that he's a blithering idiot. Right. Well, how long has the corporate media of all so-called left and right, they've all played along with that game? We play on this show all the time. What's his name? Joe Scarborough going off how presidential Twitter was when he rose to the occasion on on the 75th anniversary of the Normandy invasion. Yeah. He really rose to the occasion there. Because he read a teleprompter? Not 15 minutes earlier, he was sitting in front of a bunch of headstones calling Nancy Pelosi nervous Nancy and a disgrace. Son of a bitch. Yeah, (laughs) look, Jim on the chat. Someone better call. You don't have to call. Forget it. I'm hanging up on you then. Nobody's going to call. It doesn't matter. If you don't call, I get the hint. Maybe, guys, maybe nobody wants me to do a show anymore. That's all I have to say. 
That's what, I'm getting this suppression. Clearly, some people don't. Some people don't like the show anymore. Some people don't like me. What can I say? It's an acquired taste. I didn't like me for many years. I get it. Let me show you something. I'm just trying to sign into my email. Let me see. Some I get these messages now. You know what's annoying? <laughs> Guys, uh somebody one of you no, some conservative, I'm sure. They signed me up for all these conservative websites. It's really irritating. Well, it's also I keep it because I guess I look at it as a invitation or opportunity to look at what they're doing. I get Trump's emails. Look, Kimberly Guilfoyle just emailed me. Friend, stop what you're doing right now. I have something important to tell you. President Trump noticed that you haven't accepted his offer to join the Trump VIP club. He was pretty disappointed. Oh my God, are these people that stupid? He was pretty disappointed. They really got to play it up that he's actually disappointed. He's looking at the list. You understand that some people do believe that. I know it's hard to believe, but people fall for scams all the time, and this is a scam. I convinced him to extend your offer one more day. Look, here's the email. That's right, friend. All you have to do is contribute any moment, I mean, at any amount before 11.59 tonight, and you'll automatically reach VIP status. I know you'll be a fantastic addition to this prestigious club. But we simply can't hold your spot any longer. If you fail to join by midnight tonight, you may never get another chance. What? I better get in this club. Will this allow me um, not to die of coronavirus? Mm, probably. No, it increases your chances. All right, forget it. I'm hanging up the phones. I get the hint, everybody. I'm not doing a show tomorrow, just so you know. Bye. Boop, boop. There goes the phone. It's over. That takes, because it's, you know, whatever. It's nobody going to call. Why well, have it up there and look like a loser? Even more than you already look. Me, I mean you. I'm talking me. Not you. Oh, JD, that's so nice of you. For your super chat. In pounds. I love it. I wish I was in Ireland. Please, somebody. If there are any nice, hot model type lesbians that like the show, 
and want to support me, just email me. You can find me. Maybe we're soulmates. I got to get the hell out of this country quicker, quicker than you can say. Uh, 150,000 dead. Isn't it? Uh, it's heartbreaking, honestly. It really is. Look, I'm look. I'm just looking at the chat now. I'm looking at the numbers. I could see who's. I could see people watching. I can see who's watching, or not who, but how many people are watching. And I see people leaving. <laughs> so, all right, I get the hint. Maybe I shouldn't have done a show tonight. All right. Let's continue. Not that Donald Trump, not, all right, here we go. The answer is that it doesn't, but what Trump, it's what Trump wants to do. Duty's Archie Bunker. That's where we left off. There is a need in Trump world to describe his erratic behavior and lack of discipline as some kind of brilliant hidden strategy because otherwise you are left with the conclusion that he's a blithering idiot, which of course Trump is. But he's an idiot with deep racial animosity that dates back decades. Now with this re-election campaign crumbling around him, Trump is lashing out trying to divide the country along racial lines. Well, they've been doing that for decades, my entire life. I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh in the car with my father. I had no choice because I was a child. So I heard all this and then I heard my father repeat the stuff that he heard. As I grew older, I started to realize I knew for myself, for my own experiences in life, from reading, from having my own mind, that, and having my own experiences in general, that Rush Limbaugh was full of shit. Excuse my French. And my father was a dupe. And that's why my father and I used to get into arguments about this. So I started pushing back on him. When he would say things like, oh, you didn't get a scholarship because your skin's not black. He would say things like that to me. I used to get scholarships to go to school. Not every, I didn't win every scholarship there was. And if I didn't get a scholarship or I didn't get something related to um, funding in school or some kind of or a grant or whatever it is, that's what he said to me. Because your skin's not black. That's what he believed. You understand? Because he heard it on Rush Limbaugh. The problems in the country were because black people... It could be summed up like that. And welfare. Not the welfare to the top. Welfare to the people who actually spend the money. You could give people welfare. Give everybody a, a minimum wage. Give everybody a um, what universal basic income. It will be spent in the economy. It will keep businesses open. So, uh, give how many billions? How many billions have been trickled upon us? We're to the point 
where people don't even see the irony of in a so-called democracy. We, we read this tweet the other day from well, somebody, I don't know, from the Washington Post, begging Bloomberg, please, Bloomberg, the post office is in trouble. Now it's time for you to put your money where your mouth is. Help, save the post office. Well, isn't that wonderful? But that's not democracy. Begging billionaires to save us is not democracy. It's not the system that so many fought, bled, and died to entrust to us. And getting to that point where you're begging a billionaire online to save our oldest institution, everybody should know how disgusting that is. They should call it out and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's not America. We don't have to beg billionaires. That's the point of the grand experiment in liberal democracy. You don't have to find a benefactor, a lord, and say, thank you, my lord. Please, my lord, trickle upon us, my lord, so we can have society, my lord. Ridiculous. But they don't even see the irony of that. They think they're good Democrats. They think that's the way it's supposed to be. And all t- uh, and today, this is what annoyed me too, because last time we, we talked on the show, we were discussing the Democratic P- Platform Committee and the DLC Democrats calling the Berniecrats children and babies because they don't want to take corporate money. And, they're, and this is the problem. Saying that we're babies and we demand change, we demand a country that works for all, that we get corporate money, that we remove, that we get corporate money out, that we remove the impediments to having a democratic system that works for all. And that means excising these filthy, disgusting plutocrats from our political system by making money in politics, the root of all evil, and getting rid of it to start. And then in, we can have, we can enact you, um, not just uh, our progressive ideals. The, the thing is, we would already have these things if we didn't have money out of politics and we weren't a bunch of racist, you know, really, it is the original sin. All right, I'm all over the place. Let me... No wonder you don't want to watch the show anymore. All right, what was where was I? No wonder everybody hates me. <laughs> Why do I say that? Something's wrong with me tonight. That's not a nice thing to say. All right, so Stuart Stevens continues. He's the Republican. We'll get through this quickly. He's baffled by the GOP reluctance to speak out. This isn't surprising. We shouldn't forget that Trump still says that the falsely convicted Central Park Five African-Americans who had who he had said deserve death are guilty despite exoneration. But what's shocking, if not surprising, is that the Republican Party is going along with Trump's strategy to model his campaign after Wallace's 
1968 run for president. It reveals a combination of moral failure and political stupidity, rarely evidenced by a major party. Well, they're a greed-centered death cult. They're not a party. It's a cult. They have no interest in governing. They only have interest in destroying the government. Look at it. I'm telling you guys, don't be fooled. The Republicans have zero interest in governing. Their entire agenda is not to govern. It is to do whatever they can whenever they seize power illegitimately, despite receiving fewer votes. They need to do, they use those opportunities to do whatever they can to ensure the system is broken. that we don't have a functioning democracy and that we basically we have an effective oligarchy, a plutocracy. That is what they're doing. That's why they're shoving unqualified flunkies onto the court. It's the last stopgap stop to anybody being able to do anything about their illegitimate power. You go to court, right? Isn't that what it's there for? Defend your constitutional rights. Well, if you don't have anybody who gives a crap about the Constitution and all they care about is funneling money into the hands of the rich, well, there you go. That's the end. We're at, we have reached the end. It's hard to imagine or really hard to believe, I should say, how quickly it went down. As the saying goes, the only, re- the only way evil triumphs is when good men and women do nothing. Of course. This is, they do next to nothing. They do more, worse than nothing. They enable it. They've never had an interest. Their only interest, well, in democracy, their only interest is in Self-preservation, themselves, sucking their own asses. It helps them. They don't care who's out here dying. Get to work. Shut up and die. There is no difference. If this were the 1400s, the 1300s, what's the difference? Go work in the fields, plebs. Go toil in the fields. There's plague. Oh, well. Back to work. Okay, so here we go. He continues. Whenever I tell my Republican friends that I think racial animosity is the root of Trump's appeal, the inevitable and often angry rejoinder is, are you saying that 63 million Americans are racist? Yeah. Well, what I try to point out to them is that you don't have to consider yourself a racist. And of course, most racists don't consider themselves racist. But you do have to be willing to accept that having a racist president is less important than something else you're getting from that president. Hello. That's why we can't, we've been saying all of them are racist. You have to be cool with it. Oh, yeah, you got to be good with it. You got to be good with the racist attacks, the divisive kick, 
up, kiss, kiss up, kick down, divisive. I got mine. Sucks to be you. Divide and conquer strategy. You got to be fine with it. You got to be a dupe for it. And the writer continues, that might be conservative judges. That might be tax cuts. That might be an increased tariffs on Chinese goods since anti-free trade is apparently the new Republican standard. From defending Confederate monuments to attacking black NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace, Trump seems determined to make it impossible to, to deny that he's a racist. I'm a seventh-generation Mississippian who has worked on winning Republican races for governor and the Senate across the South, and I've never seen Trump's level of direct racist appeal work. What there is still an angry racist constituency, not just in the South, but in every state. It is small and growing smaller. Your average white teenager in the South looks to black rap stars as cultural icons more than Robert E. Lee. What baffles me is the reluctance of Republicans to speak out and challenge Trump on race. Well, here's the thing, and this is what I'm trying to say to you guys, too, and maybe you agree or disagree. It's, it doesn't matter. If the wants and needs of working people have a statistically insignificant effect on government policy, Republicans are banking, but by the time you get to do anything about it, what they're doing, they will have this power grab so solidified that whatever your remedy is won't matter. It will be too late. It's already too late in a lot of what we are. We've already been completely affected for at least my lifetime and going and more with all these Republican courts, with these conservative flunkies on the court, unless they all come down with coronavirus and leave us mercilessly alone. We're in big trouble there. This is why the Democrats drive me insane. They have to get the um, Republicans. I mean, well, the Democrats really need to, whenever they get in front of a camera, talk about this. They need to call the illegitimate Republican judges they need to call them out for what they are, illegitimate, unqualified Republican flunkies, especially on the Supreme Court. They're illegitimate. They've been stuffed on there illegitimately, and that's why there has to be something done about it. Either you expand the court so you can nullify them. They could sit there for their entire life jerking off into, uh, uh, I don't know, a picture of Ayn Rand, for all I care, if, in that case. That's what you got to do. Expand the court. That's what, um, that's what FDR tried to do. Partly what he tried to do was add more justices onto the court, and that's what has to happen to diminish the power of these illegitimate justices. 
who were placed there by illegitimate presidents who didn't win. Oh, my God. Even in this new Axios video that's everybody's watching of Trump, who says it is what it is. How many Americans are dead? 150,000 Americans dead. It is what it is. And he's arguing with the interviewer. And he says uh, that... Uh, he 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 mentions his electoral college win again. Oh, so three twenty to two eighty, whatever it was. I don't know. He had he. That's what he masturbates to those numbers. And nobody, I, the guy. Good for him. He is. He pushed back on him in many cases. But who cares? You receive fewer votes. He just let him roll with this delusional, oh, it's uh, very difficult for Republicans to win a landslide electoral college victory when it's a rigged game. All right. This article is not worth all this energy, but the point is, let's just finish up. What he says, the... What baffles me is the reluctance of Republicans to speak out and challenge Trump on race, with the exception of Mitt Romney. Now he's supposedly a hero, Mitt Romney, please, with the exception of Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney's a weak, a weak-ass whipped dog, too, because he was walking with a mask on. Good for him! A little too late, though. With the exception of Mitt Romney, has any Republican senator or House member even uttered the words Black Lives Matter? What does it say about the future of the Republican Party when my home state of Mississippi finally lowered the Confederate battle flag just as a Republican president tries to raise it? These people are, they're traitors. That's what it's about. A bunch of traitors. It leaves me deeply pessimistic about the future of the Republican Party while deeply hopeful about America. Well, you've done your damage, Republicans. You did enough damage, Stuart Stevens. It leaves you pessimistic about the future of the Republican Party. How much damage did you do putting these unqualified filthy Republicans in power. Because why? You didn't like knowing that Americans weren't going hungry with their Social Security, that they could get, that they didn't have to, uh, I don't know, what, um, murder, I mean, people, what, what, you know what happened before Social Security? We had thousands of homeless people on the streets in New York City well, there are still people homeless, of course, but elderly. I remember reading once, and it sounds off the wall, but that there were 70,000 people living on the Bowery in New York City. That seems out of, it doesn't seem real, but before Social Security, 
the number one, the primary cause of death for elderly was malnutrition and um, it was malnutrition and exposure. Okay. Social Security still keeps millions of Americans out of poverty. That's the only retirement plan that many people have. That's why the Republicans want their filthy, disgusting fingers on it. And which brings me to what we were talking about on the Saturday show again, how Republicans are after Social Security. Now, Trump thinks he's he's threatening to undermine Social Security by executive order. This shows you everything you need to know about the Republicans. And like Maya Angelou said, when people show you who they are, believe them. In the middle of a pandemic where Republicans have kneecapped the entire American people, they think that the problem with the American people are, isn't that millions of businesses are going out of business permanently because of the Republican failure to help businesses remain open and Americans to stay safely home. Instead, they divided and conquered and spread their bullshit. They think that that's the problem. You're not desperate enough. You've been treated too well in the least upwardly mobile country. You've been laying around too much. They say, oh, businesses can't compete because Americans are on, they have more money on, on social security, I mean, on unemployment than they are getting, going back to work. And they think that's your problem. You understand? Not that they created a system where the American people get more money when their standard of living, when you are pay, paying them. A living wage, well, it's not even a living wage. $15 a minimum wage? $15 an hour? That's a start. They don't bat an eye, though, when they add $2 trillion to the deficit, funneling money into the arms of people who will not spend it in a hundred lifetimes. This is where we live, and it's unbelievable so hold on a second I was watching I saw a clip from Fox News and it made me want to vomit and that's what they were saying businesses are calling them Business owners are calling them in tears, saying, we can't get people back to work. They're being paid too much on unemployment. They think that's the problem. So this, the, the remedy is to make you desperate, as if the American people aren't desperate enough. We were desperate before the pandemic. These mother bastards, these bastards. I'm trying not to curse. You understand? We were desperate before the damn pandemic hit. And now all this says 
It's emblematic that they hate us. What are you going to do? What are we going to do in a country where your so-called representatives hate you? They hate the majority of the people. And they're doing their best. Not only do they hate you, they were, they're doing their best to make the American people hate each other. So let's read this obituary from a woman. Well, it's an impassioned obituary for a 79-year-old coronavirus victim who blames Trump for his death, then calls out Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the people who refuse to wear masks. Yeah. The widow of a coronavirus patient in Texas is blaming Trump and Governor Abbott and anti-maskers for her husband's death. Okay. David Nagy, who died on July 22nd, is one of the nearly 7,000 Texas residents who lost their lives to the novel coronavirus. Heartbroken over her husband's death, Nagy, Nagy's grieving widow, Stacy, wrote an impassioned obituary placing the blame on President, so-called, Donald Trump, Texas governor, so-called Greg Abbott, and what she described as selfish anti-maskers. The blame for his death and the death of all the other innocent people falls on Trump, Abbott, and all the other politicians who did not take this pandemic seriously and were more concerned about their popularity and votes than lives. Also to blame are the many ignorant, self-centered, and selfish people who refuse to follow the advice of the medical professionals believing their right not to wear a mask was more important than killing innocent people. The obituary ran in Jefferson's Jim Pultru... I don't even know how to pronounce that. Jim Plectoot newspaper. How do you... Hold on, I should have researched that before. pronunciation oh it doesn't matter moving on and could not be found online several people have shared photos of the print version of the obituary which was published on july 30th jefferson is a city in eastern texas around 160 miles from dallas it has a population of 1961 wow so people are saying, I don't think David Nagy's obituary is real. I can find no mention of him after multiple Google searches. Nevertheless, I hope families of COVID victims will use this obit as a template. And Stacy Nagy writes back, David Nagy was real and he was my husband. I wrote the obituary in our small town of Jefferson, Texas newspaper on the July 30th edition. The obituary says that David Nagy, 79, died in the ICU at Christus Good Shepherd Hospital in Longview, Texas. Nagy leaves behind five children, numerous grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, his obituary says. Stacy Nagy described herself in the obituary as inconsolable, 
and indicated that her husband had been separated from family during his last days. Medical protocol requires that COVID-19 patients isolated during their care because of the highly contagious nature of the virus. Stacy Nagy didn't immediately respond to Business Insider's request for a comment. I hope this is a trend that the American people put credit where credit's due. I thought this was the party of personal responsibilities, Republicans. Take some responsibility for the catastrophe you create. Republicans have absolutely no business anywhere near the halls of power. Look at them. Look at what they've done. Look at what they do with power. Look what Mitch McConnell's up to. They're up to no good. Now they're trying to, in the middle of a pandemic, they got all the time in the world to stuff more flunkies onto the court. (laughs) Sorry. But they don't have time to ensure that you have a roof over your head. Do they? No. It's all, it's common. This is the third Republican Great Depression in a hundred years. Every time they grab power, this is what they do. Because they have no interest in governing. They have no interest in a civilization. What does it mean to live in a civilization? It means that because human beings are interdependent, we have to, we get together in government, we form government, and we come up with the rules. This is how we're going to live together. You know, I live in a co-op. We have certain rules. I can't vacuum my house before 10 a.m. Because we got to live together. We can't, we have to respect each other. Freedom! We're only going to sit here vacuuming at 6 a.m. Freedom! Or whatever it might be. They have no problem. These these filthy, disgusting morons have no problem wearing a seatbelt. Or maybe they do. Government passed laws. You got to wear a seatbelt. Because we got tired of scraping your disgusting remains off the highway. And seatbelts save lives, like masks save lives. But we can't do that. We can't do the littlest, tiniest, respectful thing to keep people from prematurely dying. Unbelievable. And that's why, honestly, guys, that is why. I don't know. I'm so hard on people like John Lewis. I'm sorry. Should I be deferential? I would be more deferential if I saw progress, if we weren't living in a country that is one up from Mexico as far as raising a family. That's that's a real consequences. I I live here. I'm on the goddamn front lines. I'm in the working class. As are you. 
I don't got time. I'm, my life is more than halfway over, unless I live, who the hell knows? If I live to 100, God help us all. But I'm, I don't got no time to waste. What, doing what? Oh, I, I, I'll, I respect people. I have respect for people. I treat, I, I, you know. But I'm not going to blow smoke up somebody's ass when we're gasping. We're out here gasping. We're begging for a trickle out here. How long? How much longer? All I see when John Lewis was in office, he's only one man, yes. But all of the platitudes in the world didn't fix what the Republicans broke. In fact, it's worse. Because they didn't have the, they didn't feel the need to move when they t- tweeted out all their condolences and how proud they were to walk across a bridge. None of them were inspired enough to get out of their own racist ass ways because that's not on the agenda. Platitudes are definitely on the agenda. They've been on the menu, the agenda. They're on the list. They're on the back list. They're on everybody's front of mind. Platitudes. Platitudes we can believe in. Shows of whatever. Just shut up. That's what it's about. Just shut up. Hero. Everybody's a hero. John McCain was a hero. I I guess we're short supplies of heroes nowadays when we're living in this hypocritical, infantile country. Really? Haiku. Brick up the wine caves with the Pete Buttigieg's in them. There you go. Go Edgar Allan Poe on their ass. Exactly. Yes, Terry Taylor says, No, Tara, they all need to be challenged. We're paying them to work for us, not be bribed by the 1%. Exactly. We're paying them not to walk across a bridge. God damn it. Hand in hand. I agree. There, There's a place for platitudes. There's a place for displays and... um. You know, symbolism. It matters. Yes. Symbolism has a place, but it's not the end of the story. That should not be the policy. In the, so Paradou says that walk across the bridge did help move the change. When, yeah, back in the day, when John Lewis was a young man getting his ass beat, it did matter. Yeah, that took guts to challenge the status quo. That was the entrenched racist ass status quo. Definitely. That was a different story. But I'm talking about the, I'm not talking about him 40 years ago r- walking across the bridge in a different time. I mean, the, the what they did, I'm talking about when Obama and Mitch McConnell and 
and John Lewis and the whole bunch of them went back to walk across the bridge in a big display. Joe Biden was there. Right? When was that? Pettis. I'm looking it up. And it was after the Supreme Court had gutted the Voting Rights Act. And then they all took to, well, did they even at that day? I'm sure maybe they went on Twitter and they all demanded they uh, well, uh, that uh, they do something about voting, the Voting Rights Act after, you know, freaking John Roberts saying that they undid it. They undid Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act because racism is over. He didn't say it like that. He said that the the country had changed. And he even questioned one of the attorneys that was arguing before him. Are you trying to say... He incredulously said to him, are you trying to say that there are some areas of the country that are more racist than others? Because we're infants. Oh, yeah. No, no, my, my lord. No, my lord. That's what we should do. We should just start calling them my lord again. Not your honor. No, my lord. And now Alabama's Edmund Pettus Bridge should be renamed in the wake of John Lewis's death. The John Lewis's bridge. Okay. Great. Whatever. Is that going to put food on anybody's table? Is that going to allow anybody to vote? I'm all for changing the name if you got to change it. Good. Um, After you change the name, make sure there's a desk waiting there for everybody to sign or whatever it is. Vote on the law. And then Twitler to sign it, please. Ridiculous, though. Uh, we're all about the platitudes like this veep steaks which is so offensive veep steaks that's who we are a bunch of morons it's like the price is right who will joe biden's who will get joe biden's rose who is the female vp i'm in com- i'm committed to having a female vice president that's the policy now you get it how you feel Unreal. I don't know. It's not good enough for me. While everything is going wrong, and we're being called babies for expecting it to change, for wanting it to change, for trying to force it to change. In the middle of a pandemic where millions of Americans are losing their jobs, losing their health care, we're being called babies for expecting government to join the rest of the world and offer and ensure that nobody dies needlessly without health care. And we're being called babies for demanding that we take legal bribes out of the system. I don't know, man. Maybe we are babies. Well, not we. I'm not the baby. We're not babies. 
it's I think they're babies because they they're they can't seem to adjust to change. That's a baby thing. Right? Babies don't like change. They get growing pains. They're like, wah. It's hard. Change is hard. You mean not take any money from my big corporate benefactor in the wine? I like going to wine caves. I want to go. All right, baby. All right. You could still go to the wine cave. All right. I want my DNC press pad. No, not press pad. I want my DNC gift bag. I want my hotel room. I want all of my access on MSNBC. I want a car to pick me up and take me to the studio where I tell everybody that we don't care that millions have no health care since we got ours we got health care everybody loves it they love their private health care i don't want it to change you mean what everybody should have health care what Right. It is what it is, says Jim on the chat. Exactly. It is what it is. Well, I don't know if you guys knew about... Well, you probably did because you're you're smart. I knew about this, but there's an article in the New York Times, and I kept meaning to bring it up anyway, but then they wrote this article. So... There was an anti-mask league back in the first pandemic. So it makes sense. As I have always said, human beings have always had to deal with right-wingers and stupids. The stupids. Okay? You just don't give them power. Okay? Okay? That's the thing, you know, not to give them power. Let's see, where is it? In 1918, this is from the New York Times, as influenza swept across the United States in the pandemic of 1918 and 1919, masks took a role in a political and cultural war. Unbelievable. I knew it because uh, I, re- I listen to a lot of history podcasts. I, re- I love history. So I knew about these dumb, a- the Anti-Mask League. That's, w- that's what it was called. And they were all about their freedom. And you could go on, uh, if you go on YouTube. Yes, everybody, Tara Jr. Jr. is here. How you doing? Good boy. He's a good boy, don't you think? All right, just sit, relax. You're working too hard. Let me see. I'm trying to get the camera so you can see. Oh, you can see him. There you go. He's good for your blood pressure. Just watch Tara Jr. Jr. 
<laughs> you don't like that? Ah. <laughs> you don't like it. Do I have anything? Here. Look at this. What do you think of that? Oh my god, it's a tissue. Get it. <laughs> Get that tissue. The masks were called muzzles, germ shields, and dirt traps. They gave people a pig-like snout. Some people sniped holes in their masks to smoke cigars. Others fastened them to dogs in mockery. Bandits used them to rob banks. More than a century ago, as the 1918 influenza pandemic raged in the United States, Masks of gauze and cheesecloth became the facial front lines in the battle against the virus. But as they have now, the masks also stoked political division. Then, as now, medical authorities urged the wearing of masks to help slow the spread of the disease. And then, as now, some people resisted. Yeah, it ended up being, <laughs> as far as I remember... The uh, authorities mandated masks, government authorities, people like the idiots that we have to deal with now. They rebelled. They formed this anti-mask leave. They harassed the government representatives. And finally, government relented. They said, okay, whatever. Don't wear a mask. Go die. And guess what? That's what happened. Unfortunately... We, uh, the normal people have to die too. That's the problem. In a civilization, we're all connected. So they end up taking normal, decent people with them, not just morons. If it was only the morons, I'd be like, great. That's why I'm hoping Louis Gohmert does his patriotic duty and follows Herman Cain. Why not? Freedom and all that. That's free. Nothing freer than that. You'll be free. Nobody can ever bother you about wearing a mask again. The first infections were identified in March at an army base in Kansas where 100 soldiers were infected. Within a week, the number of flu cases grew fivefold, and soon the disease was taking hold across the country, prompting some cities to impose quarantines and mask orders to contain it. By the fall of 1918, seven cities, San Francisco, Seattle, Oakland, Sacramento, Denver, Indianapolis, and Pasadena had, in effect, mandatory mask laws, said Dr. Howard Markle, a historian of epidemics. Organized resistance to wear masks was not common, Dr. Markle said, but it was present. There were flare-ups, there were scuffles, there were occasional groups, like the Anti-Mask League. He said that, but that is the exception rather than the rule. Well, they didn't have someone in power at the highest executive office cheering them on, saying, liberate Michigan, liberate Virginia. Yeah, they liberate your soul from your body. That's what he's saying. At the forefront of the safety measures was San Francisco, where a man returning from a trip to Chicago apparently carried the virus home according to the archives about the pandemic. By the end of 
October, there were more than 60,000 cases statewide, with 7,000 of them in San Francisco. It soon became known as the Masked City. The mask ordinance signed by Mayor James Rolfe on October 22nd made San Francisco the first American city to require face coverings, which had to be at least four layers thick. Resistors complained about appearance, comfort, freedom, and even after the flu had killed an estimated 195,000 Americans, Alma Whitaker, writing for the Los Angeles Times in 1918, reviewed masks' impacts on society and celebrities, saying famous people shunned them because they were so horrid to go unrecognized. I wonder what they feel about it now. The big restaurants are the funniest sights with all the waiters and diners' masks, the latter wrote. I mean, the the latter just raising their screen to pop in a mouthful of food. When Mrs. Whitaker herself declined to wear one, she was forcibly taken to the Red Red Cross as a slacker and ordered to put one on. The San Francisco Chronicle said the simplest type of mask was folded gauze affixed with elastic or tape. The police went for gauze masks, which resembled an unflattering nine ordinary slabs of ravioli. It's so, it's so infantile. There was some room for creativity. Some of the coverings were fearsome-looking machines that lent a pig-like aspect to the wearer's face. Quote unquote. The penalty for violation was $5 or $10 or 10 days imprisonment. On November 9th, 1,000 people were arrested, the San Francisco Chronicle reports. City prisons swelled to standing room only. Where's your mask? Judge Matthew Brady asked offenders at the Hall of Justice, where sessions dragged out into the night. Some gave fake names said they just wanted to light a cigar or said they were they hated wearing i mean hated following laws jail terms of 8 hours to 10 days were given out those who could not pay were jailed look here's some normal people in 1918 see nice normal people wearing masks who care about their fellow American. On October 28th, a blacksmith named James Wisser stood on Powell and Market Streets in front of a drugstore, urging a crowd to dispose of their masks. Oh, my God. Say, everybody has to deal with them, no matter what time, what age in American history. We all have morons. In Los Angeles, to mask or not to mask, that was the headline for the, a report published in the Los Angeles Times when officials met in November to decide whether to require residents to wear germ scarers, quote-unquote. Public feedback was invited. Some supported masks. I've seen some persons wearing their masks for a while, hanging out, hanging around their necks and then they reapply them to their faces forgetting that they might have picked up germs while dangling around their clothes 
An ear, nose, and throat specialist said, I saw a woman in a restaurant today with a mask on. She was in ordinary street clothes, and every now and then she raised her hand to her face and fussed with the mask. Oh, God. It never ends. So I'll just read this one part about the Anti-Mask League. As the contagion moved to its second year, so did skepticism. On December 17, 1918, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors reinstated the mask ordinance after death started to climb, a trend that spilled over into the new year. The board's decision led to the creation of the Anti-Mask League, a sign that resistance to masks was resurfacing as cities tried to reimpose orders to wear them when infections returned. The League was led by a woman, E.J. Harrington, a lawyer, a social activist, and a political opponent of the mayor. About half a dozen other women filed, filled up its ranks. Eight men also joined, some of them representing unions along with two members of the board of supervisors who had voted against mass. That's the Louis Gohmert and the uh, Jim Jordan of their day. Here's an ad. Anti-mask meeting tonight. To protest against the unhealthy mask ordinance. God. Humans. So annoying. On January 25th, the League held its first organizational meeting open to public at the Dreamland Rink. Their, their objections included lack of scientific evidence. Oh, my God. On January 27th, the League protested at a Board of Supervisors meeting, but the mayor held his ground. There were hisses and cries of freedom and liberty. God. It could be today. Repeal came a few days later when Mayor Ralph cited a downturn in infections. But a third wave of, of flu rolled in later that year. The final death toll reached an estimated, get ready, 675,000 deaths nationwide or 30 for every 1,000 people in San Francisco, making it one of the worst hit, hit cities in America. That's only, that's where we're going to end up. You better believe it. That's why Twitler, he said from the beginning, if anything less than 2 million dead is a victory. All right, one last thing before we go. I want to thank you, Jim, for your super chat. Thank you, JD, and thank you, Haiku, as always, for your super chat and your support of the show. If you can, become a patron at patreon.com slash Tara Devlin. Don't look at this show as the best show. I mean, well, this particular episode, I should say. I don't know. I don't feel, I feel like I haven't, I feel like I'm all over the place tonight. Sometimes you, my head is just swimming. This is a problem. That's why I, it's also why I ask you to become a patron, patron so I can focus on just doing this instead of 50,000 other things I have to do. I can continue to make a show every single day without having to, you know, 
worry about, wait, hold on, what time it's going to be. What time I got to get up. We could, we'll all have a set time to get together. It'll make a difference. And that's what we need. In order to have a country that works for all, we need a liberal media. We're not talking about anything out of the ordinary. We're talking about patriotism, basically, leaving no one behind. We are really reclaiming patriotism, and you know it. We don't hear this on corporate media because they want you to think that patriotism means that you don't care about your fellow American, that it doesn't matter. You don't give a whit that millions have no health care, homes, living wages, that we leave everybody behind as long as we got ours. They want you to think that selfishness is the highest American value. They do. This is what we've been hearing. I've heard this my entire life. But we got to get to the point where the American people understand that if a, if a, if a politician proposes a policy that leaves 10 million out, forget it. They're laughed off the stage. They don't even get out the gate. So, all right, a couple of things. I just want to, there's so many. We talked about the payroll tax. One last thing. Yes, I'm going to stop it. Trump is saying he's going to do it by executive order. Disgusting bastard. President Trump on Monday said that he may order a payroll tax cut via executive order to boost the economy during the pandemic. Oh, that's great, you filthy freak. That should tell you everything we need to know about the Republicans, that they don't give a crap about you. They don't care if you're on Social Security, if you want to be on Social Security. They have never missed an opportunity to undermine the American people, everything that makes this country great, that gives Americans some bit of relief, some stress release, some humanity, some dignity, that they don't have to die of hypothermia in the winter and malnutrition all year round in their old age. They might have a little bit. These people are disgusting. But for them, it's never enough. Don't you understand? For them. They think it's never enough. That's why the rich needed more money. They needed more. One, two trillion more? He wants to give the American people relief. How about you spread that two trillion amongst us? Cut out the 1% and spread that $2 trillion instead of into the arms of those who will never spend it or maybe want to use it to go to Mars. One guy wants to go to Mars. He's going to be a trillionaire. He says, I can also do this through an executive order. That's how he th he's the king. You get it? doesn't matter what the American people want. And they have been pounding it and pounding this for my entire life. It was a shame. Oh, you know, they've been bringing up 
I hear them all over on corporate media. Republicans are fanning out on corporate media to talk to anybody who will listen to them about the payroll tax. Cutting the payroll tax. This is the greatest thing since a man landed on the moon, apparently. How sick are these motherfuckers? You understand? How disgustingly vile. How sick does these do these bastards have to be? You're talking about a bunch of millionaires who, because of ideological problems, because uh, little problems that they their cultish minds, they can't abide old people not having a what die of hypothermia having some uh, some modicum of support they hate that that has to go into their pockets in the middle of a pandemic where millions are out of work and millions aren't even getting a payroll they got to cut a payroll tax and they're all over corporate media. I hear them saying, I've heard it. They're, they are fanning out. They're doing a full court press. They are counting on the stupidity of many Americans who are stupid. I hate to tell you. Look at where we live. But that's why we need liberal media. and We need you to tell them that any attempt to undermine Social Security, to cut the payroll tax, is a... They they might as well just cut our throats. They might as well just say, forget it then. We're officially a... uh, We're officially back to the system the founders rebelled against. But that's what they want. That's what they want. says Trump has lobbied for months for a temporary payroll tax cut, arguing it would directly boost workers' wages. F you. After widespread salary cuts? And why, if there are salary cuts in... the First of all, we understand many businesses are going out of business permanently. Those are small businesses, mom-and-pop businesses. You know, we're supposed to be all about small business. Not, these big corporations are doing great. Jeff Bezos, who pays zero taxes on his ill-gotten gains on Amazon that rides our socialist roads, that uses our socialist court system, and I could go on and on and on about how many ways, including the fact that Jeff Bezos used the government R&D that we invested creating an internet to come up with an online bookstore. So the guy who came up with an online bookstore, he's supposed to be the best person, right? Because he made $13 billion in one day. Oh, that makes sense in a country that doesn't work in the kind of system the founders rebelled against, oh, well, he doesn't have to pay zero taxes. So you paid more taxes than Jeff Bezos, than, well, than Amazon did last year, the most profitable corporation whose CEO, its founder, 
is on track in six years to be the world's first trillionaire. And he wants to go to Mars. Well, the ones, the rest of us living here, right here at home on Earth, uh, I guess we got nothing to, to say about that. Because the government doesn't work for us. It works for Jeff Bezos. And they're in the middle of a pandemic where millions don't have a payroll. They're cutting the payroll tax and going on corporate media to tell everybody it was, it's the best thing that they can do, that we can hope for, is that we slit our own throats. And you know what? I don't want to say I told you so about these goddamn DLC Democrats. You know who cut the payroll tax most recently? That was Obama. Because, you know, he had to reach across the aisle to the shitty ideas, the Republican crappy kiss-up, kick-down, I got mine, sucks to be you, let's do everything we can to kneecap the American people, ideas. You know, the same ideas that broke the economy now three times in a generation, in a hundred, not a generation, in a hundred years. Obama cut the payroll tax during when during the near well the second republican great depression to stimulate the economy and at the time me other progressives we all were railing this is the camel's nose under the tent they this is obama how dare he this is another thing that the that the dlc democrats Oh, then Obama went and he boasted about, oh, well, I do, um, what did he say? I touch, uh, uh, gets me in big problems. I touch these sacred cows. I, I touch the third rail or whatever the hell, however he said it. I, it gets me in big trouble with the base of my party. Oh, well, only the base, right? Not the entire goddamn American people who are hanging by a thread, who can't save $400, living check to check, and Granny's living in the basement because all she gets is Social Security. My God. This country is sick and stupid. So we allowed them to do that. Now they're going all over. Well, tr- well, we allowed. Obama allowed that. He did it. Because he wants to seem like, hey, I'm bipartisan. I could take the shitty Republican ideas and I could do them. Guys? Now tell me, show me. You will not be able to find an, an example of FDR taking the reins of government after the first Republican Great Depression, and saying, hey, look at me, guys. Let me reach across the aisle and enact some of those crappy ideas that got us into this boat. You know, because I want to show everybody how bipartisan I am. That's what people want. They sent me to Washington to show us how bipartisan we are. You think? No. 
nobody sends anybody to Washington. This is another thing I hear all over. Republicans and Democrats say, oh, they want us to work together. They want us to get along. We're so divided now. They want us to work together. I don't care if you work together. I want you to fix this broken kiss up kick down i got mine sucks to be you selfish goddamn mockery of everyone who ever fought bled and died for a democratic republic that works for all i don't care if you work with a republic i reach across the aisle to their crappy ideas they crash the economy three times in a hundred years no thanks Why? Oh, yeah, Obama, he was real bipartisan there. But now, not only did he weaken Social Security and undermine it, he set a precedent. Oh, well, Obama did it. This is what they keep saying. They go all over. They're all over corporate media the last couple of days, and it's only going to get worse, saying, well, Obama cut the payroll tax. And at the time, we were like, are you kidding me? So I thought that Obama was uh, the baddest, worst, uh, the most, I don't know what Twitler he goes on about, most destructive. Why are you following him then? It's cognitive dissonance. Meets the Dunning-Kruger effect with the Republicans. Obama's the worst thing that ever happened. Because, well, he's a black guy. But let's follow his policy. They love it. You understand? That's why Republicans, they're full of it. And I don't mean beauty and goodness. They're full of evil. The banality, the, the ugh. The tediousness of evil. They will use any just any lie to divide and conquer the people. Tickle racist funny bones. Lie about Obama. He's a socialist. Please, I wish. That's the thing. All the time during the Obama years, when they called him a socialist, I was like, yeah, I wish. Please. If only. So, as the New York frigging post, Stephen Nelson reports, Trump has lobbied for months for a temporary payroll tax cut, arguing it would directly boost worker wages and after widespread salary cuts. I'd like to see a link on that. Of course, they don't... He doesn't, they don't provide one, but yeah, they are cutting salaries. Some businesses cut salaries in the pandemic. Every other country picked up payrolls. You understand? That's how the EU is getting through. This is why they're not facing millions unemployed. They're not pushing their workers out into the streets. They're paying their salaries. They're not calling them a bunch of lazy takers hanging out in the social safety net hammock. That doesn't exist. They 
or protecting the people because that's the job. You send them to, to Congress or do you send them to the halls of power? That's what they're supposed to do. Make sure government works for all while we all get on with the business of living. And we fought, bled, and died for a country that works for all. And they have used this and abused our, uh, abused us, abused this country and the people in it. And the article continues, the idea found little support on Capitol Hill, even among Republican senators who unveiled a $1 trillion coronavirus relief package last week that would send another round of $1,200 stimulus checks to people. Whoopie-doopie. $1,200. Democrats passed a rival $3 trillion package in the House in May, that included almost $1 trillion in aid for state and local governments. Well, that's what needs to happen. Because when the chickens come home to roost there, when states can't make up the shortfalls for the government that Twitler destroyed, it's going to get worse. And that's what Republicans do. They make everything worse. Like, remember when Jared Kushner... He was like, oh, uh, this is our stockpile. We don't have to share with you. What kind of crappy, sick-ass ass is he? No, uh, uh, everybody for themselves. And then apparently, Jared Kushner, it's been reported by Vanity Fair, that he was instrumental it, well, not that tr Trump would do anything but drag his feet, but he encouraged it. Well, it's only hitting blue states. Let him die. Right? Well, good. Now it's hitting red states. So, good luck. Anti-mask league, good luck. All you got to do is go on YouTube and watch. There's many videos of people not wanting to wear masks, getting kicked off planes. What's wrong with people? It's baffling to me. I just saw this video of a lady, old lady, refusing to wear a mask on a plane. And they're like, ma'am, you have to leave if you're not going to get off. You're not going to wear a mask. You have to get off this plane. And everybody's like, get off the plane because they want to go. They're like, we have to catch a plane. We got to catch a connect. Get off the plane, dummy. So she went through all the problems, all the trouble of buying a ticket, going on the plane, sitting there, going through this whole thing. And then everybody's, when she finally gets off, she has all her stuff. People start applauding. And she turns around, oh, applaud all you want. But you're, I, I, and I couldn't hear what she said because everybody was applauding too loud. She was probably saying, you're not free. Well, she'll be free soon. Free, no, no more worries. 
It's baffling. All for Twitler. They must have. I mean, I don't get it because I wonder there are. He didn't sell that many Trump Network vitamins. So they couldn't have been had their brains rotted by Trump Network vitamins. So here's uh, the article continues. They want, this is Trump. They want to bail out cities and states that have been in trouble for years. Bad management in all cases, Democrat run cities. And we don't think that's fair. Yeah, nobody, it's not fair when, when people get bailouts. Like, that's what daddies are for. Democrat run. I hate them. And that's all you got to know about them. They can't even say the name of the party. Too, that's too much work for the, for the great Republican Party. Too much for them to say the name Democratic Party. That's how much interest they have in having a country that works for all. So let's work across the aisle with these freaks who can't even say your goddamn name. Oh, they have such good ideas, though. Make the rich richer, tax cuts for billionaires, no taxes on estates. These are all amazing ideas. No taxes on billionaire billionaires. Uh, corporations get to pollute. Animals hibernating must be murdered. We could uh, uh, um, endangered species, endangered species, whatever. Kill them all. Great ideas. How about the pigs, toenails, feces, vulvas, penises, and uh, all the things that America, well, not just America, I say American so much. People can't eat. All of that. Great idea. Reducing the FDA inspectors on the murder line from six to zero and allowing pig toenails, feces, vulvas, and what else? All the disgusting things that you can't eat that make you sick into the food supply. All of that funness has already happened. Hi, let's reach across the aisle. Only allow pig feces toenails and vulvas oh no penises okay joe biden you gotta go bipartisan but put your foot down cut it off at penises that's gay too you don't want to eat pig penises right joe you gotta be bipartisan though a little feces only kill um, cubs. Just kill the mother. Don't kill the cubs while they're hibernating. Well, actually, kill the cubs. Because how can the cubs live without the mother? You got to be bipartisan. Meet them halfway. We can work with these people. They have... They're such... Uh, that's what the American people want. They want bipartisanship. Right? They're great ideas. Show them you can work 
with, with show them you can work with Republicans. Take their crappy ideas, meet them halfway. And uh, instead of being maybe the 34th on the list, maybe we'll get up to 33. Who knows? I doubt it. It's so sickening. All right. They want to... Okay, yes. Using an executive order to cut taxes has been more commonly discussed to index capital gains to inflation, which would lower taxes on real estate and stocks owned for a long period of time. Oh, God. Trump shelved indexing capital gains last year after deciding it would disproportionately benefit the wealthy. Indexing, it's got its fans... And it's got its opponents, and I would say they are split 50-50. Shut up, bitch. God, we have to listen to this stupidity. What a moron. We got to listen to a moron. You understand a moron is being quoted in newspapers, and they are using him to, to effect policy. And Joe Biden wants to, us to know that he can work across the aisle with the people who put him in office. All right, guys. I got to go. I, ha- I can't handle it. Thank you all for hanging out. Thank you, Terry, for your super chat. Thank you, Haiku. Thank you, JD. Thank you, Jim for your super chat and thank you everyone for being a patron and for your generous donations I know it's tough out there times are very tough I also want to thank Mark Mahoney for becoming a patron I will dedicate another show to you Mark because I feel like maybe this one wasn't that great I was all over the place tonight. My, I just got to get up early. I'm very tired. And I'm also... Uh, I got bad negative thoughts about myself. <laughs> it's only a 9.45, Greg says. Uh, that's very nice. I guess that's not bad. Could be worse. You could be listening to corporate media right now. How about that? Well, I guess when nobody called, I started having negative self-talk again. And then I... The the, the phone is a double-edged sword. I need a lot of therapy. It's not good up there. My brain is not a good place. To go alone. I like I gotta bring you guys in there to talk me into not feeling bad about myself and thinking that we're making a difference. I know we do. I know we make a difference. I know that it means stuff. It means a lot to me, it means a lot to you. 
we're building a community. I'm really happy to see you all there. So, <laughs> Greg says, I'd call, but I wouldn't want to hang up. That's very nice. All right. Well, I'll see you around. I'll see you on the Discord chat. Thank you, Covert right, White Rabbit. You are doing your best, and that's more than we asked for. We love you for all your flaws, and I didn't call because I drank a seltzer and was burping. I hear you. Sometimes I have to do that on air, and that sucks. Yeah, I just got to get up early. So I guess I was distracted thinking about, oh, my God, I got to get up early. Two. All right. We'll have a better show another day. Thank you for everything also. And then I saw that people had not, that they had deleted their Patreons. So I started getting self-conscious. It's not good. You can't judge yourself. You never know why people do what they do. So, I hope ev I hope they're okay. That's all I can say, really. You guys are great. Thank you all. And if you're not already, go on our Discord. The link is in the chat or in the description of the show. And join us there in between shows. Yes, exactly. Maybe they need more ramen, Haiku said. It's true. So, it. I worry. This is a bad, bad, horrible time. I hope we can come out better for it. That's the only thing that keeps me hanging on. It's true. They probably lost the $600 a week, Jim said. Exactly. And it's frightening. So we wake people up. I will keep doing the show. We'll keep getting together and we will do it anyway. It's true. Because we're we have the right ideas. We're in this together. E pluribus unum is another way of saying we stick together, we win. And we will win. Because we are on the right side of history. We are on the right side of democracy. We're on the right side of humanity. My name is Tara Devlin. Thank you so much for hanging out. I hopefully, I'm not going to see you tomorrow. Not not hopefully, not going to. I was going to say I'll hopefully see you another time this week. But I will not see you tomorrow. But that doesn't mean you can't become a patron if you can. Guys, we stick together. We win. I will see you very soon.